Previously on Dry Powder, Jeff Tyson, an expert partner of Bain's global fintech business, gave us a bird's eye view of the transformation sweeping through the fintech space. The pace of change that we're seeing today is unlike anything that, that I've ever seen before. Today on the show, we'll consider how investors have built out the capacity and expertise to navigate this fast-changing terrain. It's really important that you have a bunch of people that have that deep technology expertise, you know, that deep understanding of the latest trends in this space, whether that's better finance or banking as a service or crypto or whatever it may be. I'm Hugh MacArthur, head of Bain's global private equity practice, and this is Dry Powder. So Jeff, let's talk about uh, a little bit about fintech playbooks. There are a lot of ways, as you know, to play the fintech space. There are some financial investors that have been investing in this area for decades. There are some others that have been investing for a few years, and there are some that have been investing for a few months, and they're really making different types of plays. Now, as you look out at the investor landscape, are they saturating the entire fintech market, as you would describe it, or do you see concentrations of bets on a few subsectors? I, I, I mean, I don't think the market has been saturated at all, to be honest, despite you know, the levels of investment that we're seeing today. And I think it's pretty exciting to see a lot of activity in, in the early stages in terms of deal flow. Just looking at some of the numbers, uh, 43 unicorns were born in, in Q3 this year, you know, bringing the total to 206. Now, if you compare the to let's say five years ago, at the end of 2016, there were only 26. So the, the rise that we're seeing from a unicorn perspective is very, very significant. And there's still a lot of opportunity for growth, not just in, in more mature fintech markets such as the US or, or the UK, but also in less mature markets such as Africa, where we're seeing a lot of exciting fintech activity uh, taking place. Wave is a good example. So Wave is a, a money mobile network in Senegal, and they raised 200 million your last quarter. Uh, and there's a lot of other really, really exciting fintech uh, companies that you know, are popping up in different parts of Africa. And also in concentration perspective, if you just look at the largest deals that have taken place so far this year, it's quite a diverse mix, to be perfectly honest. You know, you've got the likes of FTX, you're raising 900 million. You've got you know, some of the neobanks of you know, Revolut, for example, raising 800 million. Uh, Drive Wealth, raising 450 million. A whole bunch of payment players, you're raising significant sums of money. So I wouldn't just say that there's one particular area that that really stands out. I mean, payments has always been one of the, the the hottest areas in fintech across the globe, and I think traditionally we've seen most of the investment flowing into payments businesses. And again, I, I don't necessarily see that changing anytime soon. But then, you know, same with new banks. I mean, I know that. There's some degree of, of skepticism as to whether or not neobanks will actually be able to work towards sustainable profitability. But then if you look at the amounts of money that you know, Revolut and Avero and, and, and Chime and, and, and others are able to raise, you know, it shows you that you know, investors are, are really, really optimistic about their ability to really make a dent in the industry and, and you know, go up against some of the big boys. Overall, you what we're seeing is you're sort of moving up the value chain in terms of complexity. So the initial wave of innovation in this space was all focused on retail. Then you saw a lot of exciting uh, stuff happening in, in the SME space with a lot of new banks popping up in, in the SME space as well. And now you're moving into your know, wealth and insurance. And I think last quarter, we saw a record number of wealth tech deals uh, taking place, for example. Mm -hmm. So again, it's not just that particular area that is dominating headlines at the moment. And I think that's really exciting that we're seeing so much innovation happening in different parts of the value chain. As you look at the financial investment landscape focused on fintech, what sort of talent and capabilities are you seeing private equity firms build out in order to make sure they're they're placing smart bets? Yeah, it's it's a great question. I think the technology space is evolving so rapidly. 
in order to determine whether or not something is a good investment that requires a different talent set and a different skill set and a different set of capabilities. And if you look at some of the leading fintech players, for example, if you look at the makeup of their team, a significant part of that is engineers. And if I compare it to traditional players, for example, that's quite fundamentally different. They'll have armies of compliance people, for example. And again, from an investor perspective, I think it's really important that you have a bunch of people within your team that can really help you to assess the quality of the underlying platform and how differentiated is this really, but also look at how scalable is it really. And I think in order to be able to properly assess that, yeah, it does require a different skill set compared to yeah, how, how many PE firms, but also many banks yeah, have been operating in, in, yeah, in the past couple of decades. I'd also think that in the financial services space with so much potential change going on and actual change going on, that really understanding the regulatory environment is going to be a skill set that private equity investors are going to want to have more and more access to and perhaps even have in-house. What, what major shifts in the regulatory environment do you think investors should be aware of and how do they factor those in when they think about their deals? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's really important to understand and the impact that has on the industry as a whole. I mean, if I take the UK market as an example, the market has been dominated by you know, the four or five large players who, who have about 75 to 80% market share historically in, in the retail and the SME space. And it took a long, long time for the UK regulator to issue new banking licenses. But I remember uh, the Competition and Markets Authority here in the UK publishing a report uh, on open banking. The title of the report was literally making banks work harder for you. And I think here in the UK, we've, we've been really lucky to have such a progressive regulator that I think has enabled a lot of the innovation that we're seeing you know, in, in the fintech space and in the new banking space more broadly. I'm not saying it's easy to get a banking license because it's still really, really bloody complicated. But I think regulators across the globe are really looking at introducing new measures to really drive new innovation in this space, as we've seen with open banking, as we've seen with issuing new banking licenses, which again uh, has unlocked a lot of innovation. And we've seen a whole bunch of new banks popping up in, uh, in different parts of, uh, of the world, whether that's in Hong Kong. So if you look at what HKMA has done or Singapore or the UK or various other parts of, of the world. Are there markets where the banking system itself is underdeveloped and people are looking and saying, well, I'm not going to build up bricks and mortar businesses anymore. They're just going to build a digital bank. And uh, we saw this with cellular technology in the 1980s, where people didn't put landlines into their houses. They just went straight to cell towers. Do you see this leapfrogging happening in any particular geographies around the world? Yeah, absolutely. An example that, that obviously often comes up is China, where you know, we've seen the rise of, of super apps and, and you know, one single app that effectively allows you to not just run your financial life, but you know, book theater tickets or, or whatever it may be. So it, it has really become that one-stop shop. And of course, we see in the Western world now trying to replicate that. But I think consumer behavior here is just fundamentally different. And when I take myself as an, you know, as an example, I sort of want that best-in-class experience. I'm not convinced that you know, I'll use a neobank to you know, book my, my shopping, for example, or tickets to go and see my favorite artist. So I don't necessarily think that will happen. But as we all know, unbanked and underbanked population is very, very significant, even in you know, a, a mature market like the US. 
And I think it's great to see more and more players addressing that particular segment. So again, you know, not just exciting things happening in, in Africa in terms of fintech players really leapfrogging this whole space, but also in more mature markets, because it is a massive issue in uh, places like the US and the UK and other parts of the world. Now, Jeff, you have a really interesting 360-degree view of the financial services industry because you work with incumbents, uh, you also work with disruptive fintech players themselves, and you also work with the investors that are investing in many of these new technologies. As you describe the competition and how it's intensifying, what do you see investors doing in their standards of due diligence? What's happening out there? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I had this great conversation with a with a good friend of mine who works in the investment community the other day about to what extent is there a, a degree of FOMO, uh, a real fear of missing out. And you know, even if you look at some of the underlying unit economics, if we don't decide to invest in this business, then someone else will. So maybe we should also you know, invest in that particular company. And I think the market as a whole, from an investor perspective, has become incredibly competitive, not just with the, the big boys that we talked about earlier, you're raising huge sums of money, but also a lot of new investors you know, coming onto this space. And even large fintech players, whether that's a, a Stripe or others, also investing, again, significant sums of money into a whole bunch of other fintech companies. And I think f- from our perspective, we're the go-to for many of the world's leading investors when it comes to you know, helping them to do due diligence and, and post-acquisition work in the fintech space. So I see firsthand the level of detail that these companies go to before they decide to make an investment. So even though I do agree that that's an element of, of FOMO, it's not just, well, we're sitting on a ton of cash, let's just deploy this. Investors are taking a really, really close look at some of the underlying unit economics and the overall you know, growth opportunity for that particular company before they decide to invest. Mm-hmm. You know, you've obviously been looking at the space for, for so many years. Now, I mean, what, what advice would you give you know, to the investors that you're speaking to day in, day out? When I think about the work that we're doing at Bain right now with financial investors, whether it's in buyouts or working with infrastructure investors or people that are growth equity investors or venture capitalists, and you add up everything that you would call fintech in those spaces, it's already huge. There are just so many ways to play. The analog with software when it first started being an investment space is that software was was software. And now it is such a complex set of different ecosystems that investors really need to focus on what they want to be good at because you can't be good at everything. It's just too broad a space. So you need to place your bets on where you think the most differential opportunities are going to be and then really develop the subsector expertise to be able to drive differential returns because let's face it, anything that's growthy, anything where you're anticipating big things to happen, it's going to go at a massive price. And if you're going to pay a massive price and generate a return for your limited partners, you're going to need to know more than the other people you're competing with in order to succeed. I I couldn't agree more. And I I do agree that even though we are seeing a lot of exciting deal flow into fintech, we are only just getting started. Well, obviously, I agree, Jeff, and uh, I'm very excited by the prospects of what we're seeing in our daily work. And I have an idea that we're probably going to be talking about this topic as time goes on in such a dynamic area for both incumbent players, disruptive uh, financial technology players, and the investment space. I'm sure we will. Thanks again so much for stopping by today. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I'm Hugh MacArthur. Thank you for listening.